Welcome back to Don't Punt to Geo, your UNC football podcast on the Tar Heel Blog podcast, hosted by TarHeelBlog.com on the SBNation.com podcast network. Damn it, I almost had it. My name is Chad Floyd. I am joined by Jake Lawrence to talk UNC Pitt and random other things in college football. Jake, what's going on, my man? Nothing much, man. Just glad uh, we have another football game after having last weekend off. Yeah, um, we're basically playing one football game within 20 days between the Virginia game and the Mercer game, and it is uh, tomorrow night as we record this in Pittsburgh against the Pitt Panthers. Um, I told you offset that we were going to start with the streak, man. Uh, Carolina's being Pitt six games in a row, never by more than a touchdown. Why does this keep happening, and why do I feel like we are long overdue for an ass-kicking by the Panthers? Uh, I think it's happening because of uh, Pitt has had some instability in its program uh, more than North Carolina has. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's two or three different coaches that streak spans. Uh, and then Narduzzi was getting his stuff or getting his uh, system in place. Uh, and North Carolina's offense, quite frankly, is the perfect kryptonite for that system. So I think that's kind of what's led to that. Uh, but are we due for an ass kicking? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, probably so. Hold on a second. Duh. Stop. Kidding me? Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, Narduzzi got <laughs> no his. <problem. laughs> Narduzzi uh, did take a while to get his guys in place. I mean, what is he, year four, year five, and really starting to have a defense that resembles some of the good ones he had at Michigan State? Um, you know, a good downhill blitzing scheme from the linebackers. The uh, defensive line is very stout, and the secondary is good enough. So, you know, I think there's definitely something to that where UNC was able to attack them vertically, probably better than they're going to be able to on Thursday night, just with Pitt's renewed focus on getting pressure with the front four, occasionally bringing blitzers and still having effective enough secondary play to take away the deep shots. But I was going on the street more from the standpoint of Carolina just lived a blessed life. I, I go back to 2016, Mitch Trubisky completing the three fourth downs on the game-winning drive. Um, Marquise Williams getting his head taken off, uh, readjusting his helmet on the fly, and then completing the flea flicker to Ryan Switzer. Uh, there, there have just been some moments in this series, man. It's it, It's been a lot of fun, but I just feel like we're long overdue. Yeah, and that's been my biggest concern, and this seems like a year that it, you know all the stars would align. Uh, you know, it's weird. Pitt has not beaten North Carolina. I think they're like 0-7 since they joined the ACC. Um, and then they're undefeated against Duke. So they're just a weird program all the way around. You don't know what you're going to get. Uh, I think, though, that with this being on a Thursday night uh, and with I believe the Steelers are on TV at the same time, uh, I think that uh, there could be a little bit of an advantage there, you know, if, if there's a smaller crowd. Uh, and now that Pitt, by and large, is mathematically still in it for the Coastal, but I'm not sure there's a lot of excitement around that program right now um, after what Virginia's been able to do. Uh, I think that this, I think North Carolina is due uh, for, for a loss this program. I'm not convinced that this is going to be the year. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point. I mean, we were going to talk about the weather next, but just the fact that uh, Pitt is playing in Heinz Field at the same time that the Steelers are playing, and it's going to be about 24 degrees, give or take, uh, that does not really a great home crowd make. I don't know if you've been watching uh, Maction last night, but the same uh, cold front was in the state of Ohio last night, and there were maybe 50 people at uh, the Western Michigan, whoever, I think they were playing maybe Miami of Ohio game. So, you know, 
there'll be a couple thousand people in the stands, but it's going to be sparse. So that's that, that's a really good point. I uh, I hadn't thought about the factor that the Steelers are playing as well. Um, but that's that's kind of fun. Thank you, thank you. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. Um, it is it is kind of nice to go on Winsipedia and look at their uh, head-to-head records in conference and have North Carolina as a 3-10 and all-time, which is their worst winning percentage. They're 11-27 and against Miami, 8-10 and against Virginia Tech, and they have a winning record against everybody else in the conference. So Pitt Panthers, man, just kind of an enigma wrapped in a mystery. Um, and they kind of continued that trend this year, just uh, looking at the schedule. They beat Delaware by three. They lost to Penn State by seven. They beat UCF by one, and let's see. I don't have another example right off the top of my head, but they are fascinatingly weird, man. Um, I don't so know, what, what's kind of your by, by, well, they, they lost to Virginia by a couple of touchdowns, I think, and then they go uh, to Duke uh, and beat them uh, in Durham by, I think, a touchdown or so. Uh, after coming by, back, I think they were they were down quite a bit in that game, and they had to come back. No, they, they were up 27-6 to six going into the fourth quarter. Duke comes back oh, to take I've the lead and then pit. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, even 20-10 to 10 wins over Ohio and Georgia Tech, not super impressive. Their 16-12 to 12 loss to Miami was painful to watch. So they're consistently chaotic. So, you know, I'm, I'm expecting a close game either way. But um, what, what's kind of jumping off the page at you just uh, up front about the pit uh, – well, let's start with their defense, I guess, because we already kind of alluded to that a little bit. Uh, the biggest thing with their defense is I think they're only allowing some like 2.5 yards per carry, and North Carolina has been very successful on the run. Um, and, in fact, North Carolina's passing game has benefited the most whenever the running game is working. Uh, and so if, if Pitt's defense is able to stop that run and keep North Carolina from getting any sort of sustained momentum, it's going to be really hard for North Carolina to take those deep shots down the field. Uh, and that's what sticks out more than anything. A lot of people are going to be focused on the offensive or on the defensive line pressure and the sack rate and all that. And I'm more concerned about North Carolina's run uh, offense not being able to get going. Yeah, I mean, just looking right at it, they're fifth in the country in yards per play on defense ahead of teams such as Georgia and Penn State who have had excellent defenses on the season. Um, only behind Ohio State, Wisconsin, Clemson, and Michigan. And you don't do that if you're not stopping the run. So that brings up a really good point because UNC has to get ahead of the chains. Uh, Pitt's only allowing 29% on third downs, and UNC has not been particularly good on third downs. So establishing a wrinkle in the run game, I don't know if that means allowing Sam Howell to use his legs a little bit, hopefully a little bit more confidently than he has been when they have asked him to do that. Um, I don't really know how they – get the running game involved, but I do think that is going to be kind of step one to overcoming this defense. Yeah, and we've talked about different ways throughout the year, and, you know, whether it's putting two running backs in the backfield and using some misdirection uh, or maybe using that as a uh, as an option play, uh, whether it's using the running backs uh, in the quick passing game with designed screens and designed uh, uh, flats, uh, something along those lines to kind of reduce some of that pressure and, and give, give give them some different look, give Pitts some different looks. Um, with three running backs, you would think that they have enough depth, but you're right. With without Sam, without Sam Howell being a super mobile quarterback, um, and with Jace Reuter, I think still either healing or not fully integrated uh, as the backup, uh, they've got to find a way to to get those running lanes. Now the good news is, and we haven't mentioned it yet, is Nick Plano's supposed to be back, and that's going to add some senior depth to that offensive line. 
uh, that has come a long way but is still prone to, to breakdowns and lapses. And getting Polino back uh, potentially in the left guard spot I think could, could maybe get, uh, give some stability uh, going in uh, on a road environment on a Thursday night coming off a 10-, 14-day layoff. Yeah, I, and this late in the season, I don't really know if that is going to be a net positive or a net negative just from a chemistry that the five guys who have, I mean, outside of Hex, stayed healthy largely on the line have kind of built that rapport and that uh, cadence together. But the coaches who actually get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to know those things uh, would have a better grasp on it than I would. But I'm I'm always a little bit cautious about reintegrating injured offensive linemen into the fold. Although, just from a death perspective, if somebody rolls an ankle, loses a helmet or something, that's going to be really nice to have um, just a little bit of extra depth there. I wonder if they won't. Well, and you know, I was going to say, well, go go ahead. (laughs) Got it. Go ahead. You got it. You got it. You got it. Okay. No, I was I was going to say that, you know, if it was a if it was a sophomore or redshirt freshman, I would feel like that. With it being a uh, a fifth year senior at this point, I believe he's a graduate player, fourth or fifth year. Um, I feel better about someone like Polino stepping in than I would someone like maybe uh, Ed Montellis or uh, or Azudu uh, coming on. You know, just, just their second year, just their second year of playing. So uh, I think there's some there's some reason for concern there, and that's valid. Uh, but I think that with the fact that with it being a senior at a minimum. Uh, he's going to be able to, to maybe stop the bleeding a little bit. And he has the experience on the road in the cold, uh, having having been through this a couple of times. Yeah, it is funny how we end up drawing pit on Thursday night every time we go up there. But, um, you know, it, it, it's definitely something to be said for having a, having another senior on there. And, man, I'm just not in my rhythm today. <laughs> um, but looking at Pitt's D, I mean, you know, the biggest – thing that people are taking away besides the yards per play and run yards per rush, which are fifth in the country is sacks. They're third in the country in sacks. Um, Patrick Jones and Jalen Twyman both have seven apiece, but then Kylan Johnson has six. Deslin Alexandru has 4.5. And then they've got four more guys with multiple sacks. They're getting a lot of pressure and Carolina, you know, Polino, no Polino, Charlie Heck, no Charlie Heck has not done a wonderful job of protecting Sam Howell uh, on the deeper drops. And again, that's kind of where you attack a quarter's coverage like Pat Narduzzi runs. So, you know, is there anything else? I mean, we, we, we've gotten pretty in the weeds on O-line play here a little bit. Is there anything else that UNC can do to counter that? I mean, you already mentioned the quick screens, maybe multiple backs to, you know, either provide an extra blocker or just have a quick outlet. Yeah, I mean, the only other thing, we've talked about this uh, offline as well, is that look, they, they don't really have an intermediate passing game either, and they don't have the quick slant. They've been inconsistent when those when, when the receivers do get open, uh, and with it being as cold as it's going to be, uh, not to make this into a four-minute you know science conversation, but the ball is hard and it's slick and it's harder to catch when it's cold. Um, it's as simple as that. And so uh, I don't know if they have the capability to, to use the intermediate passing game to release some of that pressure. Uh, and so, I, I, you know, I think that's a big question mark, and that's valid, uh, especially against the, the type of pressure that, that the Panthers are going to bring. And you know what the nice thing about that with the ball, with the ball being hard and, uh, you know, the offense maybe being a little suppressed just due to the elements? Pitt's got to play in it too, and Pitt's 
awful on offense. Uh, they are 106th in the country in yards per rush at 3.64. Kenny Pickett is currently running a touchdown to interception ratio of nine to eight. So honestly, if you're looking for a game-breaking play in this game, uh, Carolina will have their deep shots. They might have a couple of drops that break our heart. Uh, we might have like a strip sack of Sam Howell at some point. I'm calling for a pick six in this game from somebody on the Carolina defense. I don't think that's a a, a bad um, gamble there, uh, in large part because they're going to have the majority, if not all, of their secondary back uh, of those who have been injured and were expected to come back. So obviously there's no Cameron Kelly or no uh, Patrice Renee. But uh, Morrison, I believe, is going to be back. Duck might be back to full health. Uh, there's someone else that I'm forgetting, too. I think Wolfolk is back. Um, and so they integrated them, I think, a little bit a uh, couple games ago or, or last game. But now having another days of, of recovery, uh, that secondary should be close to full strength. And that will help, uh, hopefully help keep coverage uh, for long periods of time because our defensive line is so tired right now and they're so, uh, they're so thin. Uh, you're going to need some solid coverage from North Carolina secondary, but I definitely think it's there. Yeah, and Pitt doesn't really have the explosive playmaker on the outside that you know can individually make a play like they've had in years past with Tyler Boyd or you know even one of the running backs like James Conner or oh man I forget the guy's name from uh, last year Quadri Henderson or um, yep or the other one they don't really have a guy you know either as a workhorse running back or just the guy who can individually beat a secondary and make them look foolish by himself. So I think with 11 days of rest and, you know, getting that secondary back, I expect Pitt's offense to make Jay Bateman look really, really good on Thursday night. Just a little bit of fun with numbers here. Of uh, quarterbacks who have played 75% of their team games and have a minimum of 15 pass attempts per game, Kenny Pickett has the worst passer rating out of 100 such players in college football. Um, that that is uh, that's fortuitous for North Carolina. And here's the thing, too. I mean, what have we seen the past couple of weeks of of quarterbacks attacking North Carolina's secondary? It's been the back shoulder fade, right? Short yep. routes, intermediate routes, back shoulder fade. Pickett, I don't think has he has the consistent accuracy, and or Pitt does not have the playmakers on the outside to consistently make that a problem. And with a full, with a full, as full of a secondary as possible this year, um, with multiple different types of styles and talents, which means you can now throw different looks and different coverages, uh, I think they're, I think they're going to, I will not be surprised North Carolina uh, quite perplexes and flummoxes, to use uh, two of my favorite words, uh, Kenny Pickett. Uh, because Pitt also doesn't have much of a running game to speak of. So they, they don't have anywhere to go if they can't move the ball in, in, in short short spurts with the passing game because the running game is borderline non-existent. Um, and Pickett's not going to run. So I think that you make them one-dimensional. Uh, you force Pickett to throw, and you throw some different looks at him, some different coverages at him, especially in the secondary. Uh, and I think you can come out of this with two or three interceptions. I'm with you on, on it all the way. Uh, the wind could be a factor as well in the nice, chilly environment. Um, even looking at it from uh, their kicking game, Pitt's kicker is 14 of 21 on uh, field goals for the year, so they're not really setting the world on fire there either. Um, nobody's averaging over 20 yards on a, on kickoff returns. I just, I mean, as good as Pitt's defense is, and it is the best unit on the field, I think UNC is so much better in every other facet, and 
can do enough to move the ball against Pitt's defense that I've kind of talked myself into a win here, and I'm going to go ahead and spoil my pick. I'm going to take Carolina 20, Pitt 16, another hard-fought tight game. Um, I will not pick a game to be settled by more than seven points until it happens, and I am even including the Mercer game in that. So, Jake, <laughs> what are you seeing with uh, with this game? How do you think it plays out on Thursday night? Um, I think it's a little bit higher scoring. I think it's going to be Carolina. I'll go uh, – I think Carolina 31, Pitt 24. I think it's within a touchdown because, you know, that's how these two teams roll. I think they're two very even teams. I think they're two very average teams with the ability to be really, really great on any given night. Um, and we saw that from Pitt when they played Penn State. Uh, but I think by and large, I completely agree. Pitt has the most dominant unit in their defense, but I think North Carolina across the board is just a shade better uh, in the collective. Uh, and I think that their offense has really found something the past couple of weeks against some solid, against some solid competition. So, um, and I don't see anything on Pitt's offense that really scares me. Uh, and I think that if North Carolina can find a way to get to a, a 10-point lead, I think they'll be able to hold on to that um, going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, 100%. Um, I just wonder if UNC can actually put together a 10-point lead. But that's another yeah, story I mean, for another fair. year. That's yeah. fair. I, look, I mean, we, we've talked about this all year. My biggest concern with, with North Carolina is sustained drives that allows their defense to rest. And if and we, we, all, we all love the explosive plays. They've used the run great to set that up. But we've also seen a very tired defense the past couple of weeks. And so can they sustain long enough drives so their defense is fresh at the end because the defense is so thin? Um, we have not seen that through the first half uh, of football games. And if they can do that, I think that will allow them to to get a little bit of breathing room. Yeah, I think the flip side of that is that Pitt's offense is bad enough to where the defense can also cause some three and outs. So it really becomes a battle of attrition because both defenses are going to be you know, probably playing in their side of the field a little bit more than they want to. And it's just going to kind of be a field position and who makes the first mistake battle. So, you know, we'll, we'll see who well, blinks first, but uh, at least neither one of us blinked on picking the heels, which when I pick the heels, I'm usually wrong. So maybe I should probably revise now, but. Nope. Roll with it. Let's see what happens. And by the way, I think you just talked yourself into Ben Karen being the player of the game based on the amount of three and outs and, uh, and long fields that you just talked about. So uh, I'm looking for North Carolina's punter to really make a make a difference here this week. I'm looking for the rugby punts to kind of knuckleball in the air and Ben Kiernan to kick two balls that pit muffs. That's how we go like on the scoreboard. It. Yeah, I like Jake, it. I'm down for that. Jake, we are going to take a break, and we're going to come back, just uh, talk real quick about the most recent college football playoff rankings, and then I'm going to let you get out of here. We'll be right back. And we are back. Jake, there's a shuffle at the top of the CFP rankings this week. Um, with LSU beating Alabama, they jump from two to one with Ohio State dropping to two. Clemson comes in at number three after the controversial uh, underranking of them at five. And then Georgia at number four, which I have a piece of paper on my wall that says I attended the University of Georgia. There's no credible reason to me that they should be ahead of Alabama or Oregon right now. Um, what's your takeaway just kind of on that 
top eight range, let's call it, where we include number six, Oregon, number seven, Utah, number eight, Minnesota? Um, my biggest takeaway is that none of this matters and we're all going to die. Um, and, <laughs> I, I'm, and I mean that, that, I mean, look, Ohio State still has to play Penn State and Michigan, right? And, and the Big Ten championship game. Do I have that right? Uh, you would have that correct. All right, so Ohio State still has to play two top-tier-ish teams. Minnesota's going to have to play. Minnesota. And possibly Minnesota. Minnesota's going to have to, you know, play their teams as well. Look, it, it all works itself out in the end. Uh, I, don't get, I don't get too hyped up about a lot of this. Georgia being that high right now still kind of surprises me, considering they lost to a team that is currently four and six, I think, or four and five, four and five. And they lost to them at home. Um, and they lost to them at home. So that one surprises me. Uh, I would like to see a little bit more love for um, for the Oregon, for Minnesota, even for Baylor. Uh, and I understand that some of their resumes may not be as strong, but at this point in the season, when you get to game nine and game 10 and you're still undefeated, I don't care if you are a power five school, you have played some legitimate competition. Um, and I, I can't see someone like Georgia being a number four right now uh, over some of the other options, or at least I don't think they will be there when it's all said and done. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely all sorts itself out because LSU and Georgia are likely on a collision course in Atlanta. Um, Clemson and Ohio State, to me, are kind of shoe-ins, and LSU, even with a loss, I think would be uh, a loss in the SEC championship game. But, you know, kind of the more the, the more glaring takeaway for me is just the process behind it. Um, Penn State being ranked fourth over Clemson last week was absurd. Uh, they multiple times referenced Clemson's close win against UNC, which was on the road. I mean, Pitt had the exact same experience, or Penn State had the exact same experience against Pitt at home, and it was as if that never happened. So, I mean, really just the shifting criteria from week to week to kind of create narrative just kind of annoys the hell out of me, quite frankly. So, you know, really this was more of an opportunity to get our hot takes off here and yell at the committee yeah. a little bit in our own little platform. No, I like it. And I agree. I mean, look, and, and I said it after uh, on our Slack channel, I, I said that it felt like the committee was giving themselves pre-planned outs to move Clemson up when inevitably one of those schools lost because Clemson's the only team right now uh, in that top five that isn't on a collision course or not at risk to be on a collision course with another top tier opponent. Right. I mean, they, Clemson very well may win the ACC championship game without ever playing a ranked team this year. And every other school is going to have to go through a much harder, um, uh, a theoretically much, much more difficult path. And so they're going to work themselves out. It felt to me like the committee was giving themselves a very easy, yes, narrative driven, uh, event based criteria there. And then to say, oh, well, Clemson was number five, but hey, they're still winning. So we're going to bump them up while everyone else eats, you know, eats their own. Um, that's kind of what it felt like to me. I agree. I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, if you are one to buy into that, it's my theory. I do buy into that. Um, but, uh, I, I agree that I think that some of the criteria is absolute BS. And sometimes, you know, don't, don't, you don't have to uh, fix what's not broken. And it felt like they were, they were purposely trying to make adjustments to something that was universally still kind of understood. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, they, they talk about, well, you know, last year's performance doesn't really have any. Uh, merit in our rankings and as well it shouldn't in my opinion and it didn't in Clemson's case but then you look at somebody like Minnesota or Baylor who's still undefeated Uh, Baylor actually dropped a spot to 13 um, after winning and they haven't 
you know, knock the socks off of anybody. I think it was another triple overtime win for them this time against TCU. But with them and Minnesota, Minnesota jumps up nine spots from 17 to eight and Baylor drops from 12 to 13. I mean, objectively, they haven't lost anybody. I mean, Utah sitting there at eight and one with a loss to unranked USC. Oregon lost to Auburn, which is a little bit more excusable. I think they belong in that top tier of one loss teams. But when you have a P5 team like a like a Minnesota or a Baylor, go ahead and give them credit where credit's due because these things do work themselves out. So evaluate what's happened on the field, not kind of slow to react what you think should happen. Is Yeah, I mean, and then the other thing is, you know, and we've seen this before, when you enter the when you when you're undefeated and you enter the rankings at 17 or 15, it is really really difficult to jump all the way up into the top seven or six and make yourself a player in the final week or two weeks of the season. Like it, like those teams are at a marked disadvantage for doing nothing wrong except beating everybody who's in front of them. And again, if you're a Power Five conference, you're not going against you know you know the Sister Mary School of the Poor. Um, it's a, it's a different argument than compared to some of the some of the G five schools, and I know some people don't like that, but that's just the way it is. Um, even though Rutgers in the Big Ten probably qualifies as a Division two school, but mm-hmm. aside from all of that, I mean, I, I don't see how you continually penalize these schools because then then you penalize them every single week by making them have a large or, or making them have a tougher road to to jump into those those competitive spots instead of just rotating one and sometimes two lost teams because of who they lost to. I, I can't get behind that, uh, and I think that with me, that's my biggest beef with all of it, is that a one-loss Georgia team who loses at home to a sub-500 team is still four to seven spots ahead of two undefeated Power 5 teams. I can't buy that. Yeah, and you know, obviously with it being a 12 to 13 game sample, you know, among 200 teams, once you uh, bring FCS teams into the equation as non-conference games, you, you can't do anything that's going to make everybody happy. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, you can look at Minnesota and see a path for them to the playoff. Um, still with Wisconsin and more than likely Ohio State uh, coming up for them. Baylor, I don't think you can come up with any chaos scenario that finishes with them in the top four. And that, that that's just uh, not right. Now- it's not well, right, especially with them at number 13. I mean, you got to jump all of those teams and think about the number of those teams now who have to play each other head-to-head. And so they're, they're at a disadvantage. And it's you can say whatever you want about the Big 12, but, I mean, the Big 12 is not a – it's not near as bad as it has been in years past. Uh, and it's clear that there's some, there's some top-level talent there. You know, we all know Oklahoma. Texas has kind of faltered a little bit. Um, Kansas State's always up and down a little bit. But it, there's at least two or three teams there that you think could beat anybody on any, on any given day. Um, you can't always say that about some of the, you know, honestly, you probably can't say that about the ACC. Uh, so, you know, I look at something like that, and to me, that's the bigger atrocity out of all of this. Uh, the the number fours and number fives, those are going to work themselves out. And at the end of the day, has there ever been, you know, this is, are we going, what, year number five of the playoffs now, I think? Uh, maybe six, six maybe yeah, four. Six or... no, In that I, range? I mean, it, it's at least six or seven, because... Okay. You, cause... Have we Have we... Have we ever gotten to the final two games or the final four teams and said the committee screwed that up? Like, I don't. I mean, maybe Notre Dame one year was a little bit, uh, a little bit controversial. I think maybe, but by and large, they get the final four teams correct. 
Um, but I don't like in, – in a case like this with, with, when you have three or four weeks to go when you have the conference, conference championship games uh, and you look at a team like Minnesota and Baylor and they're still five to seven slots down from being able to break the top four and you know that their path is going to be difficult, um, that's just what I don't like. And to me, I would, I would prefer to see that for the suspense as opposed to questioning which – which three of the four of Georgia, LSU, Alabama, and insert, you know, Notre Dame are going to get in? Like, I, I just can't get behind. Yeah, and, and for me, it's still more process-oriented than it is the final results. Um, you know, go, going back to the Big 12 for a second, you know, you, you, you say, look at it on the surface and say, oh, it's a down year in the Big 12 because Oklahoma's not undefeated. Well, Texas jumped into the polls at number 19 this week after beating a Kansas State team who had debuted in the polls at 16 for beating Oklahoma. So, you know, that that is kind of a league that everybody can beat everybody on any given day. I mean, Kansas beat Texas a couple of years ago. Um, well, that's and, a good point. I mean, and who's, Texas lost to who? LSU, they lost to Oklahoma, and they, they've dropped one bad one, right? They have three losses. Do I have that right? Yeah, they, they chunked one against uh, TCU. Yes, which, they're not which is not good. Iowa State and you know SMU, you know they're. I mean, they lost to two teams that are legitimately solid top fifteen teams in Oklahoma and uh, and LSU. So you know, I mean, what what do you want some of these teams to do? It's I don't know. I I'm going to get off my rant, but that that yeah. kind of stuff is what makes me angry. Yeah, and and the the fact of the matter is they don't have to rank twenty five teams. They choose to rank twenty five teams, and it, and, and it makes all <laughs> yeah, of it look kind of silly. And, you know, when when they talk about somebody's resume and, oh, well, Utah had a resume win over number 23 USC, you know, for example, which I know that didn't happen actually on the field this year. You say, well, yeah, but that's, you know, created because you chose to rank USC 23rd. So you're basically being able to self-justify <laughs> right. whatever your um, whatever kind of bullshit you're spouting. So anyway, I don't know. It's it's kind of fun. But it's kind of frustrating, and someday I'm going to have to write down coherently all my thoughts on this in a form that's a little bit more palatable than this. Uh, Jake, I've taken up way too much of your time just based on getting some of these hot takes out. What do you have coming to TarHillBlog.com here in the coming days? Uh, the big one for me this week is I'll do the three things learned after the Pitt, uh, after the Pittsburgh game, uh, and then uh, I may or may not get around to a basketball film review after uh, Friday's game. We get a little bit more of a sample size to do some actual analysis, uh, but we'll see how that goes. But the big thing is three things learned for, for the football game on Friday, I believe. I love it. Yeah, uh, two basketball games. You know, I, I I think we've kind of started to develop narratives, but that's basically – like half of one football game just uh, comparatively as far as the length of a season goes. So it's still too early to really take anything away. Um, I'll, I'll just say that Cole Anthony, he good. Um, I'll probably be back with a basketball podcast, you know, maybe to wrap up the week or something. You know, we're, we're going to do the instant post game pods uh, for the bigger games, but I did not feel it was worth anybody's time for us to do a post game pod on the, UNCW game that very few of us were able to watch. So stick around for that. In the meantime, go ahead, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and I will read it on the air. It does not matter what it says. Uh, I, I am not 
I'm, I'm, I'm not one to refrain from uh, reading curse words as long as they're in five-star reviews. So do that. Go ahead and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, keep it locked and go Heels.